Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome back to the podcast. I have so much to tell you. I don't know what to say first. It has been a whirlwind, let me tell you. The anniversary celebration is finally over, and it was a lot of work. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm going to do that next year without any help. Maybe I'll have a special guest. Who knows? But my giveaway for the anniversary celebration goes to Bridget CV. She has been interacting a lot with my posts on social media more than anyone else. I would say that the second place would go to Al Deschanel, who is always supportive of my posts. So Bridget says her favorite episodes were Will Hess and Norm Vilch. See, Will, there are others that like you too. Bridget, she gets her choice of book or music from any of my guests. I also invited her to come on the podcast and tell her story. She is a survivor herself. So you heard two new songs on the anniversary episodes. I have been recording one song per week, and then Brian has been mixing and mastering when he has the energy. I also met with a producer friend this past weekend to get me back out performing gigs locally. And he's going to help me with finishing this album of mine. So that's been very exciting. I have worked on putting the new songs on my website. They are available for purchase. And I added a new music player on the website just to listen. I am so proud of myself. (laughs) I figured it out. How to put the player on there without bothering my website developer. So go check it out at dswministries.org. You can still get a free song, an MP3 when you sign up for the newsletter, even the new songs. So let me know what you think. I will keep recording some more songs here. I am working on a few new Christmas songs, so stay tuned for that. I also figured out how to put a t-shirt store on my website. Yeah, I know. I surprise myself sometimes. (laughs) Uh, So I have my logos on the t-shirts and some hats for starters. I do want to have Brian design me some fun t-shirts for you guys to purchase. I'm conjuring up some ideas, so I just have to um, 
get him when he is able to work on those designs. So um, if you want to support the podcast, that's another option for you right now. So other updates here. For now, my day job is safe. I know I had said at one point that my job was in jeopardy. You know, the healthcare industry is volatile. I have been through two mergers in nine years, and we're going through another merger right now. Uh, But I still have my job. So that takes away a lot of stress on my part, as you know. And an update on Brian's health. First of all, thank you guys so much for praying for him, praying for us. We can feel those prayers. We finally have a good team of doctors at the Mayo Clinic. Wow, what a difference. We have a doctor who listens and has provided other options for him besides shutting down his immune system, or surgery. The doctor is very enthusiastic that he can put Brian back into remission and back to work. Hopefully back to gigging some music. So there is hope. Right now he has a lot of tests and procedures to get done in December. But I will have to say, if you're having any kind of medical problems that you can't seem to get resolved. If you're anywhere near a Mayo Clinic, and there are many of them around the country, if you can fly to Mayo Clinic, drive to Mayo Clinic, ride a bicycle, walk, crawl, maybe not crawl, (laughs) but I would definitely recommend them. Everybody we've interacted with there has been just above and beyond professional and nice and so that's what I'll say about that. We've already had three guests this year for season two. The Harrises came on the show and they did consent in marriage and Sue Bowles she talked about eating disorders So be sure to go back and listen to those if you haven't already. They were spectacular. Yes, they were difficult to listen to because their stories stories were hard. They suffered. But so powerful, let me tell you. So this week, we're continuing with my story of abuse. And it's been a series. If you've been watching or listening to the podcast, Before the anniversary celebration, we left off after our wedding, uh, our honeymoon, and our first year of marriage, which was tumultuous at best. If you haven't listened to my story up to this point, let's say you're brand new. Welcome, by the way. Thanks for listening. But I recommend that you go back to, at minimum, go back to our dating years, like in my college years. You can go back farther in the series to hear about my childhood, if you want to, for context. But if you don't, go back and listen to the 
how we met and stuff, you might be a little lost or miss out on a few important details. Today, we're going to cover my story after graduation and on to planting churches. Just what we went to Bible college for, right? But let me set the scene of what being a Baptist missionary was like. In the Baptist church, missionaries are rock stars. They are elevated as being super spiritual. The only higher calling than a pastor, since they have to go and do everything that a pastor does, but go live in a foreign country. Having a secular job is not looked on as spiritual as full-time Christian service. And there are different types of missionaries. When you hear about a missionary, you think of, okay, they're going to go out to Africa and live in a mud hut and eat off the land sometimes. So you have the church planter and you have a short-term missionary and you have something like humanitarian missionary that you may be familiar with like the Peace Corps or somebody that goes out there and digs wells. Now when you get the call to become a missionary, keep in mind there is a lot of peer pressure to do so. You go to Bible college, you get married, you have kids right away, then you choose a country to go to, and if possible, you go on a survey trip to just check out the country, get the lay of the land where you're going to live. When you get back, you choose a mission board. Then you go on what we call deputation to get your support. You then ship your stuff overseas. You start language school. Are you exhausted yet? <laughs> so when you get over there, you start having Bible studies, you know, in your home. That's usually how it's done unless you have the money to rent a building to meet in. You start door knocking, just like you do here in the States. You go door knocking and you invite people to come to church, just like here. Try to lead them to Christ at the door. Then eventually you have all of the other ministries that a church has that you would have here in the States kids' programs, women's ministries, music, missions, maybe a Bible college or a Bible institute. The purpose of each church plant was to train a local to be the pastor of the church so he could take over the church. Then you move on to another area to plant another church. So you're basically trying to work yourself out of a job. You throw in a bunch of cultural and language challenges in there as well, as we're going to talk about. So my, one of my college teachers is a missionary church planter in Paris. And Brian and I have been to that church twice and we've told our testimonies and sang and 
helped out at the church both times we were there. But previously, they were church planters in Uruguay. So they planted a church and they trained a local to take over as the pastor. And then they went to Peru and started a church in Peru, actually a few churches. And then they came out to Paris. So they are definitely doing exactly what Baptist missionaries are supposed to do. And the other kind of missions is a short term missions trip. Anyone can go on a short term missions trip. It's usually about a week or two in duration. You just need a passport most cases. So on this kind of a trip, normally you would go to help a missionary that your church supports with the special projects that they have. You know, extra teams to go soul winning, you know, medical missions, disaster cleanup, constructing buildings, constructing wells. They usually tell testimonies and hopefully do special music for the services. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I did other short-term trips to Ontario and Puerto Rico. So what we did in Puerto Rico was in Hayuya. There was a one of the missionaries there was building his building with brick and cement from the ground up. And so we had a lot of people in our church that were masons that knew how to do concrete and brick laying and the rest of us helped with cleaning and hammering nails. We went passing out tracks. We sang songs. We memorized our testimony in Spanish. And we did a little bit of sightseeing, but we were there to support the missionary there. And it was a very memorable trip. So I definitely recommend that for anybody out there. It will give you a wonderful perspective as how the other half of the world lives and different ways of doing things and different cultures. So you might be wondering, well, which one did we do? Well, we did kind of a hybrid church planner thing. Danny did not want to learn a language or go overseas. He did not want to do the deputation thing or go through emissions board. Let me address that for a moment here. We have seen our other friends in school go on deputation and onto other countries. The problem with deputation is you have to visit all of these churches all over the country. You are usually driving with your young children. You stay in a church member's home or the church might give you a hotel. You get your meals taken care of for the most part. 
And you show your slides. Yes, literal slide projectors. Okay, this was back, back in the day. I don't know what they do now, but and most missionaries, they have some fun stories and they talk about their country that they're going to. The husband usually preaches. And if the wife or the kids does any music, they usually perform. As a missionary on deputation, you are attending lots of missions conferences. The pastor's wives usually do activities together. You're required to dress like you walked out of a fashion magazine. Your kids have to be perfectly behaved. And you're to serve in every capacity until you drop from exhaustion. You hope and pray that the church that you're visiting is going to support you. So in Baptist circles, I don't know if it's in other denominations, but they have something called Faith Promise Missions. Now that is when the congregation pledges to give above and beyond our tithe for missions. That's not in the Bible either, but they claim it is. Now the average church support is an average of $25 a month. I was witness to people who jumped through all the hoops at a church to get support. And at the end of all that, the church did not support them. Sometimes it was up to the pastor or the church staff whether they were going to take on a missionary for support. Sometimes it would be a church vote, which I think is preferable. Sometimes you get a love offering to pay for gas and you rinse and repeat at the next church or conference. I know a lot of what goes on behind the scenes because I was on a church staff once, which we will get, get into in detail later in my story. So let's talk about mission boards. You won't find mission boards in the Bible, but you will not see a Baptist missionary without one. It is very rare if you do. What does a Baptist mission board do? Well, they tell you that they serve as the liaison between the missionary on the field, which, yeah, they do, but it's a whole lot more than that. So they serve the missionary in the field by a director. So the director checks in on them and sees how they're doing and offers up any support. If there are any problems, the director has to raise his or her own support as well. So all the donations that come in from the local churches that you've raised as a missionary, 100% goes to you, the directors, anybody that works on staff and a missions board raises their own support. 
A mission board helps you to get into language school. The mission board is a mediator for the church support money. They send the money to the missionaries on the foreign field to live off of. The mission board helps you do tasks like paying taxes. The problem with mission boards is that it seems like they have a lot more power than that. You have to apply and be accepted to a mission board. You have to submit to a whole screening process. So you have to be ordained, you have to be baptized in a Baptist church. So no other baptism is valid on most of these. You have to be a member of a Baptist church. You know, they check your doctrinal statement and you have to agree to their doctrinal statement. So it's, it's not enough to just be called to evangelize the world for Jesus. You have to agree to their strict doctrinal position. You also have to agree to a lifestyle agreement. You cannot be in debt whatsoever. Okay, the debt part I understand. Once you are accepted, you go through what's called candidate school and they teach you how to be a missionary, how to do deputation and furlough. They tell you all of the so-called rules and best practices of being a missionary under their mission board. But if you're over overseas or any field where you're on deputation or furlough and they find out you're not following their rules, they will tell all of the churches that support you that you are not following the rules and they will withdraw their support and leave you stranded in a country. I'm not just talking about doctrinal hearsay here or heretical beliefs like, okay, if somebody said, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth anymore or I don't believe Jesus is the son of God. Okay. That, those are deal breakers for me. But, and I've heard stories from my friends and missionaries that I personally know. I'm talking about they will withdraw support if they find out your wife wears pants. Okay, they see a picture of your wife wearing pants. Or if you use a different Bible translation than the King James Bible. Keep in mind, we have other countries, cultural practices, and languages to consider. So you have the King James Bible in English, but in other countries, you're learning another language. They don't have the King James Bible over there. If they have a Bible, it's probably not King James oriented. And cultural practices, you know, we could go on and on about this, but here in the United States, in a Baptist church, you, you wore a suit and tie as a man, and you wore a dress or a skirt and a blouse for a woman. There isn't any other dress code but that. You go to Hawaii or Polynesian Islands, everybody wears a Hawaiian shirt. Even they do business in Hawaiian shirts. They don't, they don't wear suits and ties. Now, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big 
Hawaii Five-O fan. And yes, McGarrett wore a suit and tie and all of his staff wore suits and ties, but you go over there, businessmen and everybody wears a Hawaiian shirt. It's very casual, very hot there. Be miserable to be wearing a full suit and tie. So yeah, the missionaries that I told you that we went to go and help in Puerto Rico, it was a, a father and a son team and they withdrew support because the father did not, he no longer believed in a pre-tribulational rapture. And I won't go into it too much, but I mean, I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture that the church will be raptured out of this world before the tribulation. That's what that means. But I know that there are other very godly Christians very wonderful Bible teachers that can very clearly present positions other than that one. My husband, for one, does not believe in the rapture at all. <laughs> we won't get into it, but there are certain doctrines that there is a little wiggle room for disagreement or alternative views. But a mission board will drop somebody for having even doubts about their doctrinal position. Like I said, not heretical teachings, but just variant variations on acceptable viewpoints in the Bible. So yes, I've had friends that were stranded overseas with no money for just petty things. They were listening to non-traditional music. So they were listening to contemporary music and they got caught. So the mission boards can tell you what you can and can't do. So I see that as a form of spiritual abuse, but you make your own decision. You choose to sign the paper that, hey, I agreed to this doctrinal position, I agree to the lifestyle standards. But you really don't know till you get over there or to your destination. Because you're very young when you leave Bible college, you're just you're just a baby in your maybe not your faith, but you're a baby. You don't know everything. I used to think I knew everything when I graduated from Bible college. Trust me, I don't. I'm still learning. Anyway, Danny was very much against the whole deputation process. And he said it was pretty much begging for money. He's not wrong thinking that. I kind of got that impression too, because not all churches are enthusiastic about giving money to missionaries. Not all pastors understand the value of missions and evangelizing the world believe it or not unfortunately there there are churches that think that missionaries are are there to ask for a handout instead of oh well i'm going to invest in your ministry in order to evangelize the world and reach people for christ who 
I personally could not reach. But, you know, there's bad apples everywhere you go, right? So Danny didn't believe mission boards were biblical. I agree with him on that. Maybe if they acted like a clearinghouse instead of another authority figure, I would be more in favor of mission boards. Now, Danny did not finish Bible college, if you remember from previous episodes, but I did. He did not go through an ordination like the other preacher boys in the college, which can be kind of embarrassing. If he went through an ordination, he would have flunked. And it would have embarrassed him. He was a very proud man. And of course, they don't ordain women at all in the Baptist church. So what we decided to do is to team up with other Christians in the U.S. who wanted to plant churches here. No language study, no deputation, no mission board. We both had good day jobs that we preferred to do during the week and be bivocational. We did all of our service in the churches nights and weekends which is biblical. I mean, Paul was a tent maker and he did many missionary journeys. He didn't rely on 100% support from the churches that he wrote to. I don't know if he could have, being that Christianity was so new. And the first church that we served with was not far from school. One of our Bible teachers stood up in church and said that he was going to plant a church in the next county and they are going to hold church services in an office building for starters. So Danny decided that he wanted to go with, his name is Pastor Mike, and help him start this church. Okay, so Danny ran the soundboard, I sang, and I was in charge of the missions letter to the missionaries that we supported. I don't remember the church being extreme in any way. Pastor Mike did all the preaching, and I was happy about that because he was a really good Bible teacher. His messages were scripture-filled, and he didn't have too many messages about standards. Although there was the usual standards in the church, I think that we had 20 families in the year that we were at that church, at least from my memory. If you remember, our marriage got a rocky start. We had our first anniversary after we started the church. Danny, the jerk he was, wouldn't tell me where we were going on our anniversary. He made jokes that we were going to go to a rustic cabin in the middle of nowhere, which that's not what I wanted. He changed his tune 
and got us a bed and breakfast in Amish country. And it was a beautiful inn, a bed and breakfast. There were three other couples there. Now I love Amish country. I mean, you got great food and beautiful countryside. Wasn't too far. It was maybe three hour drive there, three or four hour drive. So if you've been paying attention to the story up to this point, true to his form, he complained the whole time and he didn't want to have sex. This is our first anniversary. So the usual behavior out of Danny. Now we wound up snowed in. There was this huge snowstorm. We, we got snowed in. 36 inches. They shut down the roads except for the snow plow. So we were stuck there, I think, for four days. No one was allowed to go anywhere. So I passed the time by playing the piano and singing with the other guests and reading books. They had a wonderful library. And we had plenty of food. There was no danger of starving to death. Danny was more interested in the playoff games that he was missing at home. Surprise there. He was bored. He did not want to spend quality time with me. So he went outside and helped the Amish folks shovel snow. Okay, fine. You know, I understand cabin fever, but he didn't really make that much of an effort to, again, spend any time with me. When the roads were clear, we had to get gas at the nearest gas station. So he was in sweatpants and he hadn't shaved in three days. The debit card machine wasn't working at the gas station. He had to go walk across the street to the ATM to get some cash to pay for the gas. There was this constable there who thought that Danny was going to leave the gas station without paying and gave him a hard time. I mean, he looked pretty disheveled and I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, he looked like a slob. If he had been showered and dressed and shaved and looked more reasonably presented, maybe the constable wouldn't have said anything to him. I don't even know what a, a constable is. I mean, what's the difference between that and a police officer? I have no idea. But add to the mix that Danny has a temper, and yelled at the officer. He almost got arrested. I was waiting in the car for him. So finally, he told the officer that I was in the car as collateral <laughs> and that he was going to walk across the street to the ATM to get cash out of the machine so he could pay for the gas. So we finally got the money, we paid for the gas, and got out of there before anything else happened. Whew. 
when we got back from our wonderful trip, I confided in the pastor's wife about Danny's anger issues and lack of intimacy. So she invited us over to their home for a candlelight dinner for the four of us. But there was no real mention of anything about our marriage. Nothing was brought up during the dinner. No help at all. No, I never brought up the matter with her again. I didn't think that she had any real advice. I was pretty happy with the church and how it was going. We went on vacation to the beach. I don't remember if it was New Jersey or Maryland, but of course we had to go to church while we were on vacation. That's what good little Baptists do. And we looked in the yellow pages back in those days. You didn't have the internet. You had the yellow pages, the phone book. And we found a church in the area that we could go to on vacation. It was an inner city church, multicultural, small, and the music in the choir was awful. <laughs> the piano was out of tune. Everyone was very friendly and very welcoming. They invited us to go to teen camp with them. They were about to leave to go to this camp. And we had our motorcycle that we drove for vacation. And so we said, yeah, sure, we'll come to the camp and spend a day or so there. So we were planning on following the school bus full of kids on the motorcycle. So picture this, the motorcycle's next to the bus and you know that we can't wear pants. <laughs> I had a denim skirt on, it was pretty flowy, I'd say, down to my shins. And I had these like parachute pants, they were super big. It had a drawstring waist. And in front of the kids watching me <laughs> on the bus, they were looking at me like I was some spectacle to look at. I was putting these big, huge parachute pants over my skirt, tie the waist, and climb onto the back of that motorcycle. <laughs> they must have thought that was the strangest thing ever, or I don't know, but... <laughs> I'll never forget that. Well, we spent the weekend at the camp with them. The pastor really liked us and asked if we would be a youth pastor. Wanted us to come and work with the kids. He asked if we would move from our current home. Now, we liked what their vision was for the church. And... Danny seemed to want to really do this, so we agreed. We went home and told Pastor Mike that we were moving to help Pastor Jim, who would be our new pastor. 
in the youth ministry. They were sad to see us go, but Danny convinced them that God had called him to go there. And that is a familiar theme that you will find out about Danny, is that we never stayed in the same place for very long. Because he does not get along with people. He does not like being told what to do. He wants to be up front and in charge all the time. He wants everybody to know how important he is. So this is a good place to stop the story. This particular church deserves its own episode. I will tell the harrowing story of the inner city church and Pastor Jim next week. It was a dark time and a spiritually abusive church. One that would be hard to forget for me. Now, don't forget to go visit the website. I am going to leave you some music this week. Some new music that I've recorded that I hope that you enjoy. And check out that music player that I worked so hard on. <laughs> I hope that you have a wonderful week. Take care and God bless you.
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.